Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to Deutsche Grammophon's international podcast series. I'm Sarah Willis, and I just love podcasting with the Yellow Label's star-studded cast of musicians. My guest today is a wonderful pianist with some other hidden talents up her sleeve. Her latest album, her 10th for Deutsche Grammophon, is called Echoes of Life, and it features the 24 Chopin preludes. Also, there are some fascinating other pieces which I can't wait to ask her about. She has said that life is like a series of preludes, and I know that these choices of pieces mean a lot more than just the music. And, by the way, the cover photo is fabulous. Dear Elise, welcome to the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast Series, and congratulations on your new album. Thank you for having me, Sarah. I've been looking very much forward to this. I think the last time we saw each other was at the airport somewhere. It was, I think, wasn't it? Like on, on the way to Japan. And I think I arrived in Tokyo and then I ran into a bunch of musicians and I saw you too. Yeah, that was, that. but it's, it's always like that. We always meet everywhere else. I know. It's really strange, isn't it? We meet everywhere else except in the cities that we live in. And musicians always meet in Japanese airports. I don't know how that happens. It's because the Japanese audience are so fantastic and we all want to go there. Yes, it's, it's actually really true. Most of my musician friends I actually see in Japan. Yeah, it's the room parties in Japan. You know, we're always there with the Berlin Philharmonic at the same time as the Konzertgebouw. And it's like a yearly party. Let's hope that gets started again very soon. I miss Japan a lot. <laughs> Yes, I miss people too. Yeah, I mean, I, I really hope that we're getting out of this soon. You know, I, I thought about that because I play in an orchestra, so I'm surrounded by people all the time. But as a pianist, you spend most of your time actually alone, except when you're collaborating with other people. And I can imagine that's been something that, that's been quite a challenge. You know, you practice by yourself, obviously, but then you take what you practice and you play it in a, in a, in a large concert hall for a live audience. But, you know, now you're practicing by yourself and you've been, you know, recording by yourself. And has it been a lonely time or has it been, has it been okay for you? For you. I mean, obviously, there are many sides to this pandemic. But for myself, I have to say, it was actually a very refreshing and wonderful time because I had the luxury of having time. And that's why I could spend so much time working on the album, developing everything. Um, but it's true. I mean, playing without an audience in an empty hall is, is, is very lonely. And I had the pleasure to also play with orchestras during the pandemic. It was like once in two months. That saved me in a way because, of course, you realize that you really need, you need people uh, for music to live. Isn't it amazing how much we, we never took it for granted, but now we realize it even more, how important this live audience is. No, oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it doesn't work without the audience. And I also think that the audience is such an active part of a life experience, of a musical happening. And it, it yeah, it is, it is, it's so, I mean, music is just like one of the greatest forms of communication. And it's, it's very difficult if you're the only one in the room. Well, the good thing is that we're coming out of the pandemic and that you will be able to tour with this amazing new album, with your program, Echoes of Life. Before we get into the music, I just have to say, who made your dress? It's amazing. This cover is absolutely stunning. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> the dress is made by a designer from Munich. Her name is Sonja Trinkel. And I actually walked by her shop 
one day after eating at my favorite Japanese uh, restaurant. Then I just reached out to her on Instagram and that's how we connected and she created this dress. It's really amazing because it's made of three pieces. And so I could individually wear one of these three pieces or wear it as one outfit. And it is like also a bit like the preludes because there is this flexibility in it and there are individual pieces, but together they make one piece. So that is the outfit and the cover. Uh, yeah, I actually designed myself. So Honestly, this whole album, it's an all-round product, you know, it's just not a recording. Of course, the most important thing in an album is is the music. I mean, that, that, that goes without saying. But these days, it needs more than just the music. I have the feeling it needs to be a whole product. And you've turned this into a whole product. I mean, it's, it's, it's not only amazing, the repertoire is incredible, the, the 24 Preludes of Chopin, and then you've put in these autobiographical pieces, you know, they, of course, they're written, one is even written by yourself. I wanted to skip to that one and he listened to that one f first. But I thought, no, 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 if she's put it in that order, I'll listen to it in that order. You've created, there's a video installation going to go on. I mean, tell us what you've done uh, around the music and then we'll get to the music. Um, yeah, well, where to start? So uh, Exactly. <laughs> it has lots of layers, I think, this project and the collaboration part is essential here because I've always wanted to expand my own horizon by collaborating with artists from other fields. I mean, I was fascinated by those stories from like the Ballet Russe in the beginning of the 20th century, then the factory around Andy Warhol, where people would just uh, come and create something together. Although it happens in classical music, as a pianist, you are not really doing that on a regular basis. And so this time... No, you're practicing scales. That's what you guys are doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, during the pandemic, I have not done that a lot. I've actually been sitting on my couch for almost six months, writing texts and creating things and, and trying to get a structure into this project. <laughs> practicing scales was probably one of the things I did not do. I have to uh, <laughs> do that again. So this time I met Hakan Demiral. He's an architect and I met him through a common friend. We started just chatting about this project and about arts generally. And with all these conversations and because it was all on Zoom and we would uh, spend hours talking about everything we came up with kind of a joint dream and he creates a virtual 3D architectural world that will accompany the music throughout the live concerts. And there are also still frames of those in, in the booklet. And he and another artist, they were in charge also of uh, creating the music videos to this album. So collaboration is a big aspect of, of this project. But of course, there are there is also lots of stories in there. I, I do not really want to call it autobiographical because I'm still in the early 30s. This is not like my way. Um, it's not like a my way product, but it, this is just a reflection on personal experiences and thoughts that have shaped my my way so far. It's where you are right now. 
that's why I felt it was a little sort of, it was a little biography of where you are. And it's very touching, I must say. I mean, I love the Chopin preludes. I even managed to play a couple of them, but usually the slow ones. So for our listeners, to explain the Chopin preludes, are there's one in every key. And it's a mixture of all sorts of fast, slow, sad, happy, everything you could imagine. I love that you said that life is like a series of preludes. And I think these Chopin preludes really, really sum that up. But you you say it much better than I do. <laughs> no, um, it's, it's funny because after my last recording, when we started thinking and talking about the next project, I knew that I wanted to record the 24 preludes by Chopin. But the problem or the great thing is that they have been recorded so many times. And uh, I myself grew up with the greatest recordings, uh, listening to the greatest pianists playing this cycle. And so I thought about... Did you have any favorites? Who were your favorites? The Deutsche Grammophon recordings, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, one of my favorite Chopin interprets is Alfred Cortot. I grew up with his recordings. But of course, there's just so many wonderful recordings, also many on Deutsche Grammophon. But I I thought about it and I thought, okay, so why would the world need another recording from another pianist if there are so many out there already? Then it made me think a lot about how we listen to music nowadays. And while before we would listen to one album, nowadays, because of the streaming platforms, we can actually make our own playlist. Anyone can make their own soundtrack, own create their own playlist, like according to what mood they are in. So if you go running, you have a certain soundtrack. If you cook, you have a certain playlist when you have friends over. So it's really nice. It's very interactive too. And it changes the way how we listen to music. So when I looked at the 20 for preludes, they reminded me of life because they are made of 24 individual and very different character pieces, but yet together they they create something bigger. It reminded me of life because I think our life is also made of little small moments and even things that don't seem to be connected, they are connected in a way through us. Even an end provides the beginning of the next chapter. So as long as we live, like one step leads into the next one. So this is like what I immediately thought about when when I uh, thought about the preludes. And then I thought, okay, life actually is very unpredictable. Like there are so many unforeseen things. That's what makes life so interesting, I guess. So I found seven contemporary compositions, which represent a certain mood, a certain story. Some of them are very personal and vulnerable for me. So I decided to interspierce the preludes with these seven pieces. And it was more... An ex- no, it was more... I Sorry to interrupt. I was just... I just want to ask, was it like the chicken and the egg, which you had the Chopin and then did you go looking for these pieces to fit the Chopin or did you have these pieces already in your mind? Francesco, did he write this especially for you? You wrote this one especially for yourself. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fascinating mixture and I'd love to go through them. But which came, you know, you, you, you wanted to do the preludes, but then how, how did you pick these extra pieces? It's actually funny because some of the them I discovered while I was looking for certain uh, pieces in certain moods. Francesco's piece was kind of clear from the beginning because of our friendship. And we did a project actually for Deutsche Grammophon together. We recorded a Skondal together and he had already written a piece for us back then. And I immediately thought about him because I wanted to open the program with something 
not that was not from Chopin. It's almost Bach. Yeah, so that's <laughs> the thing because the first uh, Chopin prelude is inspired by the first prelude by Johann Sebastian Bach. And because Francesco is an amazing Bach player, actually. I have kind of a story with Bach because it was my first musical love and the first four years when I started playing the piano, I only spent with Bach's music. So there is a, like a connection to Bach. And so I thought it would be wonderful to actually connect the first prelude with the first Chopin prelude. It doesn't work that way. It, it, it does not sound good when you put the first preludium first by, by Bach and then connect it with uh, Chopin. And then I immediately thought about Francesco because then he, I thought, in, in it was his composition style, which totally represents our zeitgeist. I thought he could actually create something that echoes on the first preludium by Bach and then connects to the first prelude. And I think he did a wonderful job. So that's uh, the story with Francesco's piece. The arrangement I wrote was not planned in the beginning. So the 24th prelude by Chopin ends in agony and torment and I thought when we're coming out of the of the pandemic people need something that's more uplifting and I did not want to end my recital in in such such a a troubled mood so I thought about something that could be at the end that was more indefinite so I I came across like somehow it crossed my like lacrimosa by Mozart crossed my mind uh, I thought, I mean, it would be so wonderful to actually add that at the end because it is out of Mozart's Requiem, which is a death mass, but but still it has a very uplifting spirit uh, for me, at least uh, to me. And while trying out the piano arrangements that exist, also during that period, uh, I, I spent lots of time, of course, on this concept. So my way of, of uh, seeing this music or had changed and I had a certain image of how it should sound like and then was the time I just came up with my arrangement that echoes on fragments of the Lacrimosa and it's it's filled with these spaces which hopefully gives time for for the listeners to wonder about questions that might not need an answer. It, it totally does because it's as you say after the the the, the twenty fourth Chopin. I, listening to it, I was like, whoa, 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 you know, it's like it's so beautiful, but it's so moving and it's really turbulent. And then all of a sudden, well, your lullaby—it's a lullaby. That's what you wrote, lullaby to eternity. And I wondered, okay, what's coming now? What on earth is she going to put there? <laughs> I didn't have the program notes when I listened to this for the first time, so I have your program notes now, which you wrote all yourself in the booklet, which are fantastic in. They give such a great insight into, into your thoughts about programming all this. But I didn't have it when I listened to it. So I was like, what on earth is coming now? But it had exactly that effect. It calmed me down and it made me think, OK, this instead of, you know, saying goodbye to someone like the, you know, the lacrimosa does, usually you're sort of opening up a channel of, OK, well, what's now? And just getting the listeners to, to think a bit. It actually stopped me doing what I was doing. I was, you know, to the Chopin, I, I think I started, you know, sort of tidying up something, thinking, oh, this is great. And then I I stopped and I thought, oh, it had the effect you wanted. <laughs> Thank you. That's actually a great compliment because it's also the first time I'm really including an arrangement of myself. I'm I'm not talented in composing at all. So, But this was just not because I had planned it, but I was just looking for a certain kind of mood. And then I was actually, after settling with, with this piece, I found out much later that Chopin had um, asked for the Requiem to be played at his funeral. And I, I thought that was actually a, such a funny coincidence. 
It's fate. It's fate that it should finish your album. So we have the two bookends. We have In the Beginning Was and The Lullaby to Eternity. And then we have these pieces in the middle. And I must say, in your program notes in the booklet, I love what you wrote about Infant Rebellion by Ligeti. And when I heard it, I thought, oh, I can play this until you got faster and faster. If the listeners haven't listened to this yet, go and have a listen to it. At the beginning, you'll think you can play it too. But it gets a little bit complicated by the end. It starts very slow. And it's always it seems always the same. But actually, yeah, then you have to give it up. But tell us about your infant rebellion, because I think I could so relate to what you wrote, because I think we were all like that. You know, we, we were all pains in our in our parents, what's wherever's. <laughs> yeah, I try to remember how I actually came up with this piece. I wanted one kind of interrupting moment, because I think most of the pieces kind of fit in. And some of those contemporary pieces, you, you even start listening to, you don't know if you're still listening to Chopin or not. And that's what I also find so fascinating about Chopin himself, because I think that when I listened to the entire compilation for the first time, I really had goosebumps. I put a playlist together on one of the streaming platforms. And so it's not that I got goosebumps from my own playing. That didn't exist at that time. No. So it was just, I put like together what I found, like those nice recordings I found. And I put them together and I listened to it all together. And I, I got goosebumps because I realized that actually the contemporary compositions affirm how modern, provocative and timeless Chopin's music is. And that made me incredibly happy. But I wanted some little moment of like a shocking moment in, in the whole cycle. And it happened to be in the, quite in the beginning. So after the fourth prelude, which is an E minor, there comes this piece uh, by Ligeti called Musica Ricercata, and it's uh, the first piece from this uh, cycle. And it basically only contains one single note played in different octaves and rhythms. It's in a way a very simple piece, but it shows many, 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 many layers of this very limited word. So in a way, it's limitless. And that reminded me of my childhood when I had just discovered the word no and used it in <laughs> every, every situation. And of course, I I pushed my own boundaries and challenged the patience of my parents. But it was a moment where I felt a little bit a feeling of power. And I call it infant rebellion because I think that was my first rebellion until I learned how to replace no with yes, I used it in many, many, many different situations. I, I think Ligeti, he was, I met him once. He was such a, a, a wonderful, crazy man. I think he would have adored your title for his piece. I, I hope so. I mean, it, it, it was just because there are these personal stories. I, I felt like, okay, I have to give these chapters my own titles. But obviously the title of the piece is Musicariccio Cata. I know. Well, for me, it's now forever infant rebellion. Then we move on to Nino Rota. And exactly that happened, that you, what you just mentioned. I thought I was still listening to Chopin when I heard the Rota waltz. It was just, yeah, I, 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 we went over it. And then I looked at my at the at the list and I was like, oh, wait, I haven't heard the Nino Rota yet. Which prelude are we on? And I realized it, the music had just carried on and it had played. And I mean, he really could have been Chopin. Maybe I'm just a horn player who has no idea. But I swore I'd heard Chopin <laughs> but it was Nina. It, I mean, it happened to me too when I first discovered this piece. I didn't know this piece. And apparently this was just recently discovered, this uh, piece of music. But when I heard it first, I, I also thought this is Chopin because especially the middle part just sounds like Chopin's music. I thought it just fit perfectly in between 
the Chopin Preludes, because also I, I grew up with Nino Rota's music. I think we all did in a way. And I, I just watched his movies with his music in my teenage years. And that was like a time, of course, where when I rom romanticized everything and was still naive and I think I could own the world. I mean, this is this kind of feeling when, I mean, at least I had when I was a teenager until I realized that it, like, it was all a bubble. But it reminded me of this very innocent time. Innocent time, and then comes what well, you've you've called it. No roadmap to adulthood. Chili Gonzalez. I I thought that was very nice to see his name among all these composers. I thought that was lovely, and that that's talking, you know, about uh, well, what you say. It's like uh, something with the same origin. I think you said is now taking on a different shape. So I mean that, and that that's in the music. You can hear that happening as well. Yeah. The, um I, I met uh, Chili Gonzalez a couple of years ago when he reached out to me and asked me if I would join him on a charity concert he did. And I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And he let me choose two of his compositions, which I then played in this concert. And one of them was this prelude. When I started thinking about this concept, I immediately remembered this prelude. And it's it's actually so... Again, there's another link. It links to the beginning of the album because it's also inspired by, it echoes also the, the first preludium by Bach. And I thought it would just... I went back and listened. I thought, is that in the same key? Because I thought it was exactly... I thought, okay, he's doing the same thing as Francesco. But it's not. It's not quite the same key. It's nice. We like things we recognize, you know? Makes us feel intelligent that we recognize something. <laughs> <laughs> and well, and I hope that, like, over, over the course of time that there will be lots of links. And that's what I also love so much about a project because I usually play a project two to three seasons and the stories and the memories you link to the music, they change with the time. So at the beginning, it's a completely different journey than at the end. And I always love that when also the audience comes afterwards to me and tell me their own journey throughout this program. Yeah, I hope that there are more links people might discover. This is what like Echoes of Life is also about uh, for me. Um, and here it's it's just uh, something with the same origin that has changed its uh, shape over the course of time. And that's why I think it just fit perfectly there. It's also after the D flat major prelude. So it's in the same key and it provides an end to to a chapter. Did you switch numbers around? Did you listen to it all as a playlist just to make sure everything fitted for your ears? Or did you work it? You know what I mean? It's like sometimes when you're you're making the order for an album, sometimes you have to listen to the endings and the beginnings to make sure things fit together. Or did you already know what order you wanted everything in? Um, for some of these pieces, I, I knew exactly where I would put them. And for some others, I had to like listen to the endings and the beginnings because as you just said I think it's it's such an important part of the listening experience and since I do like to play things all together I always wonder about like how would it reflect on the audience because I think pauses are equally important that's it's not just about the notes that are played but it's also about this colors and spaces and pauses in between and that have an influence also on the audience so it was very important for me that it would it would fit perfectly together. 
The 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 music up until now in the album, I was just so impressed with it all and your technique and this light. I mean, you and Chopin were made, you would have made a great couple. It just suits your way of playing so well. The next two extra pieces, the Takimitsu and the Avo Pet, they touched me a lot. And I hadn't read your program notes, but I felt there was some sort of question in the Takimitsu when I listened to it. And the Avo Pat, I was like, what, what's she saying with this one? And when I read what, what had happened to you on stage as you'd played the prelude before it, that gave me goosebumps. I mean, if it's okay to talk about it on the air, you were giving a concert and you'd just been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and you had actually an attack on the stage. And you had to stop. That's just the worst thing for a performer is having to stop in the middle of a concert. Is that right? Have I have um yes, so there was an incident. I mean, afterwards I found out it was not an episode, it was a missensation that happened from a healing nerve wound, basically. Because sometimes when physical exhaustion can trigger something while it's healing. Um, it happened to me on stage. So it was on the day when I, I got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and I was actually feeling extremely relieved because I had gone through two months of uncertainty and lots of examinations. And I, I hate uncertainty m more than anything else. So in that moment where the doctors told me, so it's multiple sclerosis, I was actually really relieved because I knew, okay, so now we have a name and we can, we can take our steps forward and see what needs to be done now. So I was actually feeling quite relieved and I was in a good mood in the concert. But then suddenly I got this cramping, which then led to loss of control over my left hand and I had to stop playing. And that was a very... It was with Chopin, wasn't it? It was Chopin. It wasn't the prelude, but it was, it was Chopin. It was Chopin and it was the Nocturne Opus 48, number one. I hope I, I'm very bad with numbers, so I hope this is not the right uh, Nocturne, but it's in C minor. And it was in the middle of that. So the tonality of C minor is something I will always associate with this moment. And yeah, so I had to stop playing and that happened to me for the very first time in my life. And it was a traumatic experience. But then afterwards, I took some time off. At that time, nobody knew about my diagnosis and I made it public a couple of weeks after. But it was a journey and especially it was a time when I had to really understand, first of all, what this condition actually is, what it does. And I also realized that we only know about the tragic cases. So I did not know that nowadays that we can actually have treatments that allow us to live a fulfilling life. And there are many out there who still live a fulfilling life. And I didn't know that. I thought it's, it's going to be the end of me playing the piano. It was very good for myself to educate myself about this, to make uh, my own researches and then to meet great team of doctors. I found a fitting treatment, but also at the same time, I had to understand that I've been ignoring signals of my body for such a long time because, and I'm sure everybody knows that there are moments when your body sends out signals and we think, okay, we can kind of cheat on our body and we can go on. And I've played concerts with fever and it worked. So I knew, okay, next time, next time I had a fever or temperature, I thought, okay, I, I, can, I, I still can do that. And you go on and on. And that was definitely a moment where my body said, okay, no, not, not anymore like this. 
And I had to learn to listen to and to read the signals of my body much better, to understand my own condition much better, and to basically go and listen to deep inside me, to be aware of, of what it is that we are. That reminds me of the piece by Avo Pert, because this piece only works when you really pay attention to it, because there's so many spaces in, in between, so many pauses. And this piece only works when you really embrace everything, the entity of it. And it requires lots of attention and, and silence and concentration from the audience as well. And this is something which we, I think, lose a little bit in this very hectic time we live in. And we constantly have to function. So It's a very touching piece. And I must assure our listeners, Elise looks amazing. <laughs> She looks absolutely fine. The picture of health. So you're obviously doing something right and listening to your body and taking care of yourself because you look fantastic. Just to make sure that our listeners realize that. And I hope many of them can go and hear your tour because you'll be, as you said, you'll be playing this for a couple of seasons together with the installation. Are you taking it to every concert? Yes, yes. So this this project only comes with the video installation. It's also trying out something new. I've been experimenting a little bit with my projects over the last couple of years. It's not anymore just a traditional piano recitals as I used to play them five, six years ago. And this time it includes this video installation. I'm really curious how we're having the very first live concert in the middle of August. And I'm really curious how this is going to work out and how also the audience will react because there will be basically an architectural reflection of, of the story of this project. And I'm really excited because it's the first time also I'm working together with an architect and um, Maybe he'll build you a house afterwards as well. Yeah, hopefully, nice. hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so I looked up, I was doing some work on Beethoven and, um, and about his song cycles. And then we got onto the subject of concept album. We were looking at that and where concept albums came because Beethoven wrote the first concept song cycle and, you know, about telling people what they should be listening to. I remember I looked up what a concept album means. And it says online, a concept album is an album whose tracks hold a larger purpose or meaning collectively than they do individually. For me, your album is a concept album. It's planned, it's conceived, and it tells a story. Okay, you don't want to call it autobiographical, that, that's fair enough. But for me, it shows me so much into, into your soul of where you are now and the journey you've been on. And I can only say congratulations because I love these sort of projects. And, and, and you're giving us a little view into your soul with your music. And, and it, it's wonderful. It really is. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. And uh, I hope all our listeners can make the trip to come and hear you live with this. Stay happy, stay healthy. And uh, yeah. <laughs> and all your, all your other hidden talents, we didn't have time to get onto them, like designing bags and, and stickers and all, all sorts of stuff. But we'll have to do that when you're next in Berlin. I want you to come and join me in this, in this podcast studio and we'll do one in person, okay? Would be great. Thank you so much, Sarah. And I, I really appreciate you having time for me today because I've been admiring you so much. And like also you're an incredible inspiration to like a wider audience and also the young generation of musicians. And I've been admiring that a lot. That means a lot. Thank you. Just be glad you're not here in person because I'd make you try my French horn. <laughs> <laughs>
I've never done that though. I've never done that. I don't think I would yeah, be well, able to produce one note. Well, we'll see about that. Of course, after COVID, everybody's worried about. So we'll have to wait till everyone's vaccinated before we can start the horn challenge up again. But you just wait. I'll get you one day. Looking forward to that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. And dear listeners, we've loved having you here with us. Elise and I have had a great time talking. I hope you've enjoyed listening and we'll see you next time on the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to stay up to date with future episodes and also want to listen to some fabulous past episodes, then do subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast from. I'm Sarah Willis. I loved this podcast with Elise and I'll see you next month on the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast Series. Music